What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Mountain Podcast. Here we are, episode two, as promised, here on a beautiful Tuesday. Um, we're at Chase, part two. Uh, this is an incredible sermon, as I said yesterday. Um, Sam really brings great fire in this one. I was definitely challenged after listening to it, and I've been thinking about it um, really all <laughs> for the last couple of days. It's been pretty incredible. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It's uh, it's really challenging. There's going to be some conviction that comes up, but that's okay. That's supposed to happen when something uh, like this is said and brought to the forefront. So I hope you guys enjoy this word from Mr. Samuel Goulet. So Sam, take it away, bro. The timing that God has in our life and the way we see God operate in time. God's a, a God that's not really bound by time. Time isn't his thing. Uh, we are bound by time. We've got clocks. I've got a watch on my wrist. I've got a watch on my computer, a watch on my phone. And we have an ending time for this service. Uh, and, uh, and that's very clear. If I went beyond it and said, we're going to go beyond it because God doesn't live in time, <laughs> you would just start leaving. <laughs> You'd be like, but I do. <laughs> and uh, so we see that God doesn't really live in time like that. Uh, which is a good concept to understand because when God speaks to us, when God writes things on our heart, it isn't entirely in the way we've anticipated it to unfold or unravel in time. This is a really important thing to kind of reconcile right away is that we will naturally build in expectation, time frames. I've heard of some young people, young adults, having a crisis at 30 because they realize they haven't done anything with their life. Uh, up until 30, I've heard this before, and they're like, I haven't done anything. I don't even know what I want to do yet. And there's this crisis, right? And of course, they've done things. They've grown, or they've realized a bunch of things that are not good. <laughs> they've done the Edison bulb thing where they haven't realized the bulb yet, but they realize like a thousand ways that isn't right. Uh, so that's still growth. But uh, you see this even just like an expectation of time. Hey, by 30, I should have this. By 40, I should have this. By 50, I should have this. By 60, I should have this. Abraham and Sarah were probably like, hey, you know, by this age, we should have had that kid or probably several that God was promising us us for our inheritance. And so we can see that this time thing really does challenge our expectations. How many of you guys have received like promises or prophetic words from God? How many of you guys felt like you've heard from God for your life? If you haven't, we'd love to prophesy with you afterwards. We'd love to pray with you. God speaks so clearly and he's so awesome. And uh, he has plans for our life. Talks about that in Jeremiah. Uh, And we know this, that God has plans for our lives. But the wrestle comes in what we know his plans are and where we're at. That's where the wrestle really comes. The wrestle comes in that when he's promised a land to us like he did to the Israelites and I find myself in the desert or what I feel is the desert or what I feel is maybe even Egypt. (laughs) Some of us feel like, man, I wish I was in the desert. (laughs) I think I'm still in Egypt in some ways. I feel like I'm still bound in some ways. Like I, I don't have liberty in some ways. Some of us would like to just be free but not quite have the promised land yet. So we can recognize these places. We can recognize that when we expect something to unfold in a certain way, we expect something from God and it doesn't take place, it's challenging. It's really challenging. Some of the greatest disenfranchised, uh, disenchanted places I've seen in Christians 
I've seen in when I'm partnered with people in Christianity, I've seen in my own life, some of the most disenchanted places are the places where you had an expectation of what your life was going to look like or what God was going to do in your life, and it turned out really different. Some of you felt like it turned out to be a horrible train wreck so far, or in certain seasons it was a dumpster fire. And there's these places where we feel like God promised these things, but my life looks like an utter mess. And you look at the Bible and you can see all these different stories where, where there was expectations. You look at Joseph's life and the, the promises over his life. And then you look at all the journeys he went through from being thrown in a pit to being in jail and et cetera, et cetera. You see these places and people's journeys biblically or Abraham and Sarah and what they realized. And then God called them up the mountain to sacrifice the one son they got that they got after waiting a really long time. And you see all these places of the promise of God and your situation being in tremendous conflict. And the way you go about reconciling your situation that is seemingly very different from the promises of God is extremely important. There's a few things that I've noticed that people do in these places. Some people let doubt grow. Some people allow the seeds of doubt of disappointing situations or circumstances grow doubt and callous their heart and harden their heart. And we can talk about that a little bit. And other people I've seen that there's places, and in my own life even, there's places of denial that we'll tap into. We'll just kind of bear up, close our eyes, and pretend like it's not bad. Pretend like this is all just a lie. This bad situation I'm in, this bad outcome that's around me, it's all just a lie. It's not the design of God. It's not, it's not a place I've done. I'm just being a victim of these things. And so we can be in denial about some of these things. But I want to take a look with you in the, in the, in the, in the book of James 1. And I want to begin to unpack what it looks like for us to navigate these places of seemingly different situation compared to the promises that God has spoken over our life. James 1, 2 through 6 in the English Standard Version says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In another scripture it says patience. And let steadfastness or patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What I want to always encourage you to do is in these places when you find yourself in situations or outcomes that are seemingly different than the promised land, to take a look at those situations and ask God a really simple question. Not how can you change it? How can you transport me to my promised land? Why do I have to endure these places of desert or trial? But ask him a different question. Ask him, God, how are you growing me in this space? God, what areas am I dying to in this place that's extremely uncomfortable for me? I've had moments in my life where I had goals. I wanted to play professional basketball. And then uh, when I was a senior in uh, year basketball, I was pretty decent at it. I got something called Guillaume Beret, which is, a, uh, it's not good. But uh, <laughs> it's a lot to it. Essentially, maybe missed my whole senior season. I didn't even have a knee reflex when I was going on a couple of the college visits that I still had left. Most of my stuff was just gone. And, uh, and that was a tough place. I remember being extremely disillusioned in that space. Not really sure what was going on or why I was experiencing all these things. Everything I had put my expectation in and set my goals on was just entirely demolished. How many of you guys feel like you found yourself in that situation before? 
Everything you've grown to expect, everything you've grown to expect about God just completely shattered. Completely shattered. See, God is enduring. He is never changing. He is always the same. He is everlasting to everlasting. So if we perceive that he is saying or doing something and then our life falls apart, it's not because God changed. It's because God is doing something inside of you that goes beyond the outcome or the circumstance that you are in. And that God's will for your life doesn't always dictate an outcome around you. Sometimes it only dictates an outcome inside of you. This is a really important paradigm to grasp and to grab a hold of because I didn't go play professional basketball, but in that situation, there was a dying process that took place where I began to lean on God. I began to find God in a way I've never found him before. In that space, I was birthed, I, I, God birthed me into a Nazarite experience, which was separation and consecration to him. He entirely rewrote everything I felt, knew, or thought about Christianity, Jesus, myself, others in Christianity. Entirely rewrote the whole thing. Entirely rewrote the whole thing. He didn't deliver on what I thought he was going to deliver on. He didn't deliver on what my expectations for my successful life, but he delivered on everlasting life living inside of me. The situation was different. The expectation was different. I expected success. He delivered eternity. The two are different. A lot of times the two are different. A lot of times we believe that the, the success of mankind, the applause of man, the celebration of man, the, the planting of many churches or the, the prosperity of a business is, is equivalent with the will of God for our life. Because there's a promise of our life. We begin to go, these are the promises of God for my life. All of these things. And so we set marks for what God's promise or will for our life is in terms of outcome, in terms of success and prosperity. And God may prosper you. He may even cause you to have lots and lots of money or plant tons of churches or have a beautiful music, da-da-da, or an amazing creative, da-da-da, and people may marvel at the gifts of God inside of you. Those things may happen. Those things may not happen. You may realize those things were entirely rooted in some version of arrogance, you may realize those things were rooted in some version of insecurity that wanted the applause and the celebration of man, and that was the driving force of you wanting those things. I can't speak to that. I really cannot speak to that. But what I know for sure, what I know for sure is that when you find yourself in situations that are different than what you expected God to do in your life, you have a really important challenge. And you've got to reconcile that place to the true nature and intent of God's heart. You've got to ask yourself the question, was it ever God's heart for him, for me to be this? Or was this what I thought he was going to do in my life based on my own personal feelings and my own personal will? Were the dreams that I had for my life, the life that God had designed for me living inside of him? Or was I asking for God to bless my life and bless my dreams, bless what I wanted and bless what I saw? You know, this invitation of Jesus is beautiful because he says, listen, give your life for my life. And you know what I realize about that process? Is that it's, it's not just a one-time occurrence of salvation, but like every month, every week, 
every day I realized that I was expecting God to do something simply so he could deliver in a way that would not make me face my insecurities. Make me great so I don't have to face the fact that I'm not. I think these are the places of trial when we see James talk about it and says, look, this, this place of trial, it tests your faith. It tests what you're believing in in the first place. Do, is your faith existing so that you would have an outcome that suffices your fears? We talked about in the, in the first service, and I and I don't like to repeat too much, I, but it's a little bit of a narrative thing for me. But I, there's, there's these places that we perceive the mountaintops of God, the high points of God are the, are the celebratory places. You know, so for us in the community, it would be like maybe the mountaintop is building that, that beautiful envisioned building. But I, I don't really see God cultivating mountaintop experiences as the places of celebration by man. But I see that God cultivates mountaintop experiences at the culminating moments of dying to self and becoming alive in Christ. And I think it might be time for us as Christians to kind of change the narrative of how we perceive success or mountaintop, how we perceive the glory. And it's, it's not one that is critically acclaimed all the time. It's not one that, that has people gawking at it. It's not one that has people celebrating it. Honestly, the beautiful places of mountaintop experiences will probably happen when no one's even aware you're there. The, the, just the times of dying in prayer. The times of just studying his word and reading it, not so you could preach on it, but just because you love his words. The times of fasting for no reason, but just to get closer to God just to get closer to God. Like we've associated fasting in these elements as, as, as outcome, you know. Some things only come out by prayer and fasting. And so now we fast to make things happen. And that's not bad. That's not bad at all. But what I'm saying is like it's not the only place of fasting expression. Prayer and fasting and study is not just for impact. It's for transformation. And transformation doesn't always spell out impact in the way you expected. Sometimes the transformation that God is doing inside of you will touch one or two people, maybe. Other things he may do inside of you that may touch the masses, that may be just, wow, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so amazing, right? Oh, my gosh, that's so awesome. But there's other times, and we should never build our expectation of growth or transformation in a way that I'm doing this so that I can have great impact or I can accomplish something. It, it's similar in the language when we give for a certain reason, for a certain outcome or expectation. And, of course, it's biblical to be able to see yourself give and receive something back from God. But any time that we build our faith in an incentive-based expectation model, we've only realized a part of how God operates. And a part of how God operates is that he lives and he breathes inside of us, and that's the end of the story. Not he lives and breathes inside of us so revival can come. 
Not he lives and breathes inside of me so that I could write a song that would move throughout churches and touch a nation and touch a word, a, a, a world. Not so that he could live and breathe inside of me so I could preach a message that will become a book that will sell millions and that will change the face of the church. He lives and breathes inside of me, period. Godliness with contentment is great gain, it says in the Bible. There is a place of fully being abandoned to the things of God that puts no requirement of give back on God in relationship with him. There is a place of journey with Jesus that says, I'm walking with you. That's it. Because I love you. You can lead me into triumph. You can lead me to milk and honey. You can lead me to die upside down on a cross somewhere where Christians aren't accepted. You could lead me into life. You could lead me into being a martyr. You could lead me into hunger. You could lead me into full belly. You could lead me into revelation. You could lead me into believing that I have no revelation and a place of great prostrate humility before you because I looked at the glory of God and realized that I was nothing in, in, in comparison to that. You could lead me into triumph. You could lead me into the desert. You can lead me into the promised land. You could lead me out of Egypt. You can lead me in front of a burning bush. You can lead me into a place of wondering where God was or, or why I thought God was like that. You can lead me into whatever place you want to lead me. I will walk there and I will be there because you're there. Ultimately, this journey looks like us saying yes to the presence of God. Even when it introduces us to situations that are unpopular, that are difficult, that are challenging, and that require us to die. This chase, it's, it's, uh, it's initially something that sounds like it's a, it's a glory journey. I'm running after you, God, and we're going to get to see revival. We're going to get to see homes all over the city, neighborhoods caught on fire for Jesus. We're going to get to see Vegas saved. We're going to get to see a national movement because of it. We're going to get to see songs and CDs and revelation come out of this place like never before. Revival is going to strike this place like no one's ever seen it. These are the really big languages we find in like prophetic narrative and prophetic rhetoric. They're not bad. They're not bad at all. Maybe those things happen. Honestly, maybe they happen. And that's amazing. And, and maybe they happen because we prayed and we believed for them. But my contentment will never be found in the fulfillment of somebody else doing something in order for me to feel good about what God did inside of me. See, we hold these things lightly, very, very, very lightly, very gently we hold these things. You know, what if God called us to plant homes all over the city and then they became churches that planted all over the world? And no one could even point back or trace back to the mountain. But out of this place, with no credit and with no praise and with no fame, thousands of churches got planted. There's a, there's a real challenge that begins to happen in our spirit when we begin to challenge why. Why am I chasing after God? Why am I pursuing God's glory or his presence? Is it so that I could take something out of it and become great? Is that the narrative I've built? Because if that's the narrative I've built, it's probably time for me to lay that narrative on the altar. Now, if God makes you great, great. 
If God doesn't make you great as far as men are concerned, great. Who cares? Who cares what man's perspective is of what you carried as a true, sincere pursuit of God? Maybe you do. Maybe I do. And then we get this beautiful opportunity to go, yeah, then I see that trial that I'm in right now, this situation that's icky, is actually killing my pride. Is actually destroying my place of arrogance. So I'm not going to close my eyes and pretend it doesn't exist. I'm not going to just not share about it until it's all over so then I can wait to share about it when it's a testimony. You ever had that? I'll wait to tell people about it when it's like cleaned up, it worked out, it figured out. So then I can be like, yo, this is a testimony now, right? But you tell somebody in the midst of you're just like, I don't even know what's going on. I'm not even sure. I don't get it. I don't see it. I'm not even sure. Tell people about that in the midst of that place. That's not a testimony. That's true vulnerability. See, I don't know who God is right now in this space, but I am looking for it. I don't know what he's saying right now, but I'm looking for it. We don't enter into this new place by what we know because it's new. How could we? How could we know what God is going to do? He's doing a new thing inside of us. It's impossible for us to know, to fully comprehend. It actually predicates that at some point we go, I don't know. IDK. I, uh, <laughs> being, the, being the pastor, it's really fun because we have a, we have a team that uh, has just great stuff, and, and they're always asking me questions. You know, they're always asking me questions like I know. You know, what should we do about this? I don't know. No, seriously. And, and you know what's funny about being a pastor is that you feel this, like, temptation to act like you know. Because you don't know, and everyone should know you don't know, but for whatever reasons, pastors' reputations has become that they know, that they hold the mic because they know. But that's not why they hold the mic. They hold the mic because they've grown relatively decent at dying. At least that's why I'm holding the mic. I can't speak to others, but I hold this thing because I'm just like really uh, have embraced the idea that I don't know, and I'm super comfortable in it. I don't know. What do you see God saying? What, well, what, what's the solution for your home group to get people there? I don't know. What do you think? What's God telling you? And I'm not just saying that because like I know, but I want you to find out. Like some kind of like arrogant, like condescending thing. Like, ooh, I know. I got like 50 people in mind. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> it's not like that. It's legitimately like God's authoring something in you. For sure. So I may have an insight to what that is. We can even talk about it prophetically, like what God is growing inside of you. But as far as what he is communicating to you to be faithful, to reach out and connect to people's heart so that you could become a discipler and not just a disciple, that's entirely important for you to ask God. And so when I say I don't know, I legitimately mean I don't know. And it's important that I stay in the I don't know for the things that I don't know. Because I don't know. <laughs> and, and how do you have confidence in a place of I don't know if your confidence comes in knowing? 
The journey of faith has you having confidence when you don't know. To live in faith and not my, is literally to say, I have confidence and I have a rest. And it actually just doesn't come from knowing how this is going to work out because I don't know. I lack understanding. See, it's the mystery of God. It's, it's, you don't know. But you're really confident that he's a faithful God. That he's going to, like, create it in you. Do you trust that God will literally shape his will inside of you even while you don't know? Because that's what Romans 12.2 says. I've only mentioned that once or twice in here. It's my favorite scripture. That's the one thing you're going to have to just like, I love that. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind's going to need to be made new in the process of transformation. So what you know cannot create transformation. When God is inviting you into the promised land, he knows it's going to require that you die and you become something you're not, something new. God also knows that he is a faithful God and he will deliver on that promise. You know, the promised one wasn't, wasn't like a situation or a circumstance. The promised one was the Holy Spirit that when Jesus was ascending, he's like, yo, guys, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And it's token phrase, the promised one. Do the studies in the word, the promised one, the Holy Spirit was promised. So when we're talking about what's God's promises for your life, what's his plans for your life, look at the narrative of what the Holy Spirit does, and those are his promises, and that's his narrative. Too often we overemphasize outcome-based stuff for the promises of God. Too, too often we overemphasize success-based stuff as the promises that God wants to deliver. Too often we emphasize revival in the masses as the thing that God has promised to us rather than revival in the single person here. And it's not that he doesn't have a design for these things. He does, but they're bigger than us, so we should just trust him, and we should be about our personal narrative of growth and transformation in exactly the way God speaks to us. Because those are the things that will unlock all of the things that God's planned in a bigger way. Or they're the things that will absolutely create in you a love to walk with God, even if it leads you to walk a modest, moderate, perceived life. Because no walk with God is moderate. No walk with God is average. It can seem to be average from the outside looking in. It can seem to be average because maybe that person hasn't preached to the thousands or sang a song that the thousands have sang or the millions have sang. It can seem modest and average because maybe the guy doesn't just point to himself as being glorious, doesn't stand up and give a testimony every time that somebody gets healed through him and those things aren't bad. But it can seem modest. It can seem like it's even inconsequential. But the perspective of man does not define the true nature of what God is doing inside of you or through you. These are beautiful narratives for us to completely be free from. And if our expectations for God in us and through us is great impact, and if our expectations for God in us and through us mean that we should have great impact with man, there will be tons of seasons where you will have to wrestle with that expectation. Because there's going to be thousands of seasons God brings you into that has you in a place of minimalized impact. Has you in a place of no impact at times. Like that you can speak directly to. No praise of man. Sometimes he brings you into a dying season that you see, you don't see the milk and the honey. You don't see the, the big fruit. And all you got is a manna like once a morning. And that's it. 
And you're like, God, why did you bring me in this place where I don't get a full meal? In Egypt, I got a full meal. A month and a half in, 45 days in to the Israelites' journey out of Egypt into going towards the promised land, they began to challenge and complain and question the, the leadership, saying, why did you even bring us here? We were better off in Egypt when we had access to meat and we could fill our bellies with it. And we weren't hungry in this place. See, the Israelites, but you see it all throughout the word, found themselves in situations that weren't the land that God promised to them, and they made mistakes in the way they interpreted or perceived who they were or who God was in that space. How many times have we found ourselves in a space or in a journey where we walk in with God, we're walking with God, we didn't realize the promises, we realized a bunch of icky, awful situations, and then we began to question our direction. We begin to question the fervor of what we decided and what we heard in the presence, we question with humanity. What we heard in Egypt, we question in the desert. What we heard with a full belly, we question when we're hungry. I feel like God's calling me to fast. Two days in, did God call me to fast? <laughs> I think maybe I just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, God likes two days. That was good. <laughs> And this isn't to kind of create like a, hey, you got to fast or you're not righteous or holy because then you're just on another hamster wheel. Fasting doesn't create righteousness. Uh, I'm, in, I'm getting my master's in theology, and uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to do that with three kids and a church and a wife and... But there's this really interesting topic that they were asking about recently. They said, can somebody understand the Bible and not apply it? And I was like, a really great discussion, right? And you have to, like, post on people's posts, you know? And I always like to kind of, like, stir it up a little bit. <laughs> Everyone's, like, so gentle and kind. They're like, well, Brother Lee, what a great post. I'll tell you what, great truth in here. They don't say anything. They just like reaffirm and regurgitate what the other person said, you know. But I like to go in there and just truth and love for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but there's, but there's, this, there's this understanding that we have that we can know of God and not be transformed. And that's a challenging place, yeah? That's like a really challenging place. And you know what I find often is the failure in that? I find often the failure in knowing of God and not being transformed in him is to lack courage in those places of dying. Is to see those pockets of fear and insecurity inside of you and to go around them rather than sitting in them and going, yeah, this is terrifying. This is actually awful. Oftentimes we try and use our rationale to overcome these places of fear, these pockets of fear. And we use even sometimes the promises of God, you know? Like you're failing awfully, horribly. You have two businesses that fail. And you're like, hey, like, you know, the pro God's got plans for my life. And you're just like speaking like blindly these prophetic declarations. And you're like, God's got plans for my life. 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 He loves me. He's got plans for me. And you're just like saying it over and over again. 
But there's a due process that takes place in these trials and these points of failure or perceived failure that God literally cultivates a challenge and a test to your faith so that patience and steadfastness could be cultivated. And then when that place of steadfastness and patience is cultivated, it says here that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you lack, it's time for your faith to be tested in trial. When you lack and you want more of God understanding that that is a journey then that will lead you into places of confusing circumstances, of cloudy situations, that will lead you outrightly, positively into risky scenarios where you step out and then it looks like you failed or you didn't overcome or you didn't, you didn't do what you thought you were going to be able to do. God didn't do what you thought he would do and you're wrestling and sitting with a who am I? Am I just a failure? Am I just what my parents told me I would be? Am I just what my coach told me I was? Am I just what my teacher said? I feel like there's some people in this place that's really important for you. You've, you've wrestled and you've, you've gotten hit with your mind over and over again by your leadership in your life that has said, this is who you are, and it's some inferior version. So every time you meet the failure that points to them being right, you freak out. You freak out and you go into denial. No, 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 no. I've chosen, and I believe that God invites us to this beautiful journey that leads us into trials. It leads us into desert seasons. It leads us into times where we only have manna once a day. It leads us into these places where we got to have the fire by day, and the, the, cloud, or the cloud by day, the fire by night. It leads us into places where we then go into what was our promised land, and there's things that are bigger than we think we are in there. I believe that God invites us to the promise that has us challenged in those things. I, I think the same thing to live in God is also an invitation to die to yourself. So when we see these places, when we, when we have this space where we realize, man, I am absolutely being confronted with the idea that I'm a failure, just like people said. It's not an opportunity or an invitation by God for you to deny and to decline that reality. In fact, more often than not, it's probably really important for you to come in touch with the fact that you have failed. That the giants are bigger than you. That you will die in the desert without him. That you aren't that great to be able to do it without God. Most of these situations, it's to face those things which you fear. It's to face those places of insecurity. It's to face the places of pain that these trials cause because of what they might imply about who you aren't or about how short you fall. I think it's, it's well past time for us to embrace these places as the places that cultivate humility and that have us crying out for the grace of God. Have us crying out for his blessing. Have us crying out for his increase. Have have us crying out, God, in this place of trial, in this place of my faith being tested, I am not enough. I see that. I recognize that. But in my place of deficiency, your grace is sufficient. In my place of weakness, I see your strength being perfected. In 1 John 4, it literally talks about, it says love is being perfected in us. In this place here, it says that, to endure trials, to literally count the trials, to count the places where, yep, my coach said I was that. And you know what? He's kind of right. 
I remember my coach told me things that like really cut me deep when I was first in that space in that age. That was hard to hear. I didn't want to hear it. That's awful. Tell me I'm great, please. Don't tell me that. And not in that way. That's really mean. <laughs> You're telling me that in a very mean way. But then all of a sudden in spaces where that comes up again, I'm not only haunted by the fact that it's caused me to fail in that space, but I'm haunted at the fact that it's caused me to fail my whole life. And how many of you know we find these places? How many of you know that in trial, it provokes and it illuminates and it exposes real depravity of weakness, real depravity of shortcoming? It exposes them. And it's hard. But if we close our eyes in denial and pretend they don't exist and just start speaking prophetic declarations, then we miss that beautiful opportunity to realize the grace of God in our most humbling and humiliating places. Oh, man. I remember my, my, my coaches, my teachers, people would talk to me about the, the stubbornness that I would have, the unrelenting, will-imposing mentality that had me resist instruction at times. I remember these places, and I faced them. Because I realized that even when I began a journey with Jesus, they were still there. That I would set my face like flint against those that would resist me. Against those that didn't believe me, I would count them out as another doubter and hater. So I had the category, those that loved me and those that hated on me. And I set my face like flint against the haters. <laughs> you know what's funny is you, you live your life to prove them wrong. Then you got to take a step back and go, who's authoring my life? Because if I live as a reaction to the hate, anything that I react to, that original action is the author of my behavior. So if I'm connected and pursuing God because I want milk and honey, I've missed the point. If I'm connecting with God because I want his promises to deliver in a way that would have me going back to Pharaoh and going, dude, I told you I was great. If I would live my life to channel the glory and power of God so that it may prove me as an individual, I miss the entire point. Accessing God's glory and God's power is not so that I can prove to others that I was always great or that God had always intended and designed greatness in me. But it's simply this. I've only accessed those places because I've died. And I've recognized that I could not, I could not and I would not have walked in them without God's grace. It's the rich young ruler that had done all the other things and God invited him to give up his wealth. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He walked away full of sadness. And oftentimes I feel like when I meet my limitation, it makes me sad. When I meet that place that I cannot do without God's grace, then I'm really sad. Because I've realized my weakness. I've realized my place of de defeat. I've realized my place of shame. I've realized my place of guilt. I've realized that place. And I don't get free from shame and condemnation by trying to convince myself that I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. No, I get free from shame and condemnation when I go, I recognize that in me. 
God, deliver me from fear. Deliver me from evil. The Bible says the perfect love of God casts out all fear. It's our, it's our beautiful language to see God's perfect love established is also to see us go through deliverance. His perfect love comes and your fear gets cast out. This isn't the deliverance where you vomit and you spin your head around. This is not an exorcism of Emily Rose or anything like that. It's not like deliverance in the kingdom when you're walking with God is like delivered from fear. Delivered from oppression. Delivered from anxiety. Delivered from strife. Delivered from anger. Delivered from create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a contrite spirit in me. It's time for us to rest on the idea that the promises of God were meant to establish transformation, not outcome. If outcome comes, praise God. If it doesn't come, then I still got transformed. I still walk in his inheritance. I still walk as a son. I still walk as a daughter. Or you walk as a daughter. I don't walk as a daughter. Because that's weird. <laughs> but we walk as sons and daughters. That's what we do. And sometimes it has us winning incredible battles. Sometimes it has us doing things that make people go, oh, oh my gosh, you did that? Sometimes it has people going like, that's amazing. What you're doing is, is nuts. It's just crazy. And those places are just like, <laughs> I mean, I had somebody after the first service just telling me what, what they thought about my sermon. And like, it was like, they were like just saying all nice things. And I used to not know what to say, you know, because what do you say? I agree. <laughs> Your sermon was great. Thanks. I agree. I mean, uh, is that arrogant? I always used to have this, this game I'd play with Donovan. I'd go, uh, arrogant or confident? <laughs> and then when you think something, you say, hey, arrogant or confident? And you'd say it, and then they'd tell you if it's arrogant or confident. A little side game. It doesn't matter at all the point I'm making. But... But you, you go into these places of presence and glory and you share in them. You share in them. And they're beautiful. But they're also not a credit to you. And that's hard to separate. Consistently hard to separate the credit that God gets in his glory if we are still rooted in insecurity and fear. Because our insecurity and our fear will drive us to take credit for things that satisfy that place of fear. If I fear rejection and I share in God's glory, then in that place of glory, I will accept the praise of man as the antithesis to my fear of rejection. God casts out fear. He doesn't satisfy our fear. He creates in us a narrative of perfect love. If you lack peace, if you lack rest, if you lack those things, understand that God's bringing you through spaces that are trial spaces so that your faith can be tested, your patience can grow. And then you're perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Symbolically, I like to think of symbols because it helps me. Because after talking like this, you're just like, okay, so what are we talking about? I know, I, I know the feeling, but it's, it's, I like to think of posture. 
Sometimes posture as a symbol really helps me understand how I get to walk with God. And that when I lay prostrate before the Lord, when I lay down before God, it really does give me the posture symbol of what this feels and looks like. Not stood up with the tension being drawn to, but laid down. So the only thing they're really seeing is my back of my head, my back, my hind side, my leg. They're not seeing any of my glory. They're not seeing my face. They're not seeing what I bring to the equation. It's a posture that looks like completely prostrate before the Lord, that chooses a laid down life, even in the midst of hostility and a battle. And those are the hardest times to do it. It's the hardest time to lay down with Jesus or before Jesus when you're in a storm. Look at all the disciples when they were on the boat and Jesus was sleeping. His posture was one that was laid out, taking a nap. Look at the posture that existed when we're, in, when we're in a battle scenario. Look at those places of war when you feel like you're threatened or you need to fight for yourself. You're not laid down before God. you cut your arms up and you're like, what's up? What's up? But look at the situations in the Bible where God's like, I want you to put first line, worship. First line, send worship. First line, send that thing that makes the least sense in the battle scenario. Send that thing which points to me, even in the midst of a battle that is trying to kill you. Send that thing that points to me. In Psalm 63, it says, the loving kindness of God leads me into praise. It leads me into worship. The kindness of God leads me into repentance. It's this unfamiliar, strange place of God's heart that leads me not just to experience his glory and power, but to die to myself and become alive in Christ. This, this, is what, this is what the chase is about. It's about identifying that it's not even about me. That, yeah, <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> you know how, like, restful that idea is? You know how peace-inducing that idea is? Man, it's really nice to go into the space where you realize it's not about you. It can seem at first like it's a challenge to insecurity because then you feel like you're inconsequential. But you find so much meaning and so much belonging in the abandoned life that simply goes, I'm in this to pursue God. And that's it. I've let go of every other narrative, every other pressure of life to be this or to be that. So someone thinks something good about me or praises me or so credit or history or remember me. And oh, it's all these places, you know, I want to be a modern day Abraham or Moses. I want to be a modern day Joseph or John the Baptist. Or I want to be a modern day this, that, or the other. And that's awesome, right? If God does that in you, then praise God. That's awesome. But that's not fulfillment. That's not the promises of God being fulfilled inside of you either. The promises of God being fulfilled inside of you is does Holy Spirit have residency and do you have residency in Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's the promised one. The invitation isn't to outcome, circumstances, or credit. It's an invitation to residency and making your life about residency in God. And he will do the rest through you. He'll do the rest through you. Remember his promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be established. I know the other things matter. They do. I have three kids. I have a wife. I have a home. I have a mortgage. I have bills. I know the other things matter. This isn't one of those like irrational mindsets of just seek God, give everything up, and just hope that your kids can feed themselves. They'll eat grass. 
You know what I mean? Like, this is not what I'm saying at all. Hopefully this, this message isn't coming across out of, as out of touch. But simply this is that we, we touch into God's heart and he really authors everything beautifully. And just trust him in those spaces. And anytime you've met a situation that caused you to have an expectation crushed, reinterpret who God is in those spaces. Because he's real, he's there, and he's present. It's time for your perspective to change and understand who he truly is and how he truly operates. And he's a faithful God. So if your expectation is crushed and has you believing he's not a faithful God, then you have misplaced expectations. God is who he says he is. And if your disappointment has you realizing that you believe he is not who he says he is, then your expectations are a lie, not God. Well, that is going to do it for us today here on the Mountain Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe so that you can see all of our sermons and our discussions and new things and new content along the way. And then after you've done that and you've listened to some of our episodes, make sure that you rate and review. We love hearing your guys' feedback. Um, one of the biggest things that we love is when you guys tell us how much you love our conversations. So you'll definitely hear a lot more conversations happen this year than in the previous year, or rather six months that we've had this podcast. We really want to bring um, thoughtful discussions to the forefront and have you guys be challenged by that as well. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow for a brand new discussion. See, there you go. There's more stuff. A brand new discussion with myself and Samuel on transparency. For the Mountain Podcast, my name is Donovan. We'll talk to you guys later.